1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC.
2: Hi, this is Eric. Hi, I'm Jason. This is the Earn and Invest podcast.
1: I can slice my life into two different time periods. No, I mean it. I really can. And it all hinges on my discovering the financial independence movement. There was the time before financial independence when I spent an inordinate amount of time thinking, worrying about, and making more money. And then there was the time afterwards in which money became a supporting character, a shady figure in the background. Still important, but somehow lesser. The two sides of my life. The two sides of financial independence. I often wonder if I got it all wrong. Or maybe, just maybe, I got it exactly right. Jason is a retired scientist and biotechnology executive. After working for 23 years, he achieved his financial independence retire early goals and left the workplace. He now pursues a variety of interests, including travel, cooking, brewing beer, and writing on the Next Phases Now blog. Eric is a practicing residential architect, author, photographer, content creator, and founder of the 30 by 40 Design Workshop. He makes videos about architecture, designs simple modern homes, and shares his process online from the long studio. His target financial independence date is June 2024. Together, they're the host and creators of the Two Sides of Fi podcast. Jason and Eric, welcome to Earn and Invest. Jason, let me start with you. What's the biggest misconception about the financial independence retire early movement?
2: I think the biggest misconception about the FIRE movement is that there's only one way to go and that it's either, depending on your viewpoint, either it's all tech bros socking away tons and tons of money so they can retire at a very early age, or that it's only the extreme lean fire side where it's spend as little as possible and get out as early as you can on a very meager sort of income. And the reality, of course, is that there's a huge spectrum of people pursuing these interests. And I think Eric and I fit somewhere on that without being either of those extremes.
1: One reason I love your guys' podcast, Eric, is because you come at it from very different vantage points. One of you has already reached financial independence. The other of you hasn't. Let's get back to basics, though. How did you two first meet?
0: Oh, Jason and I met in the eighth grade. Jason actually moved to my hometown, Cooperstown, New York, upstate New York. And we met there in you know eighth grade. So we became fast friends and st- essentially spent high school together and you know we he was the best man in my wedding i was the best man in his wedding we shared a lot of life experiences but you know at a certain point we kind of went our separate ways uh, we even shared living in the same town for a, a brief space uh, when he and his wife were living here in Maine but you know then we got about as far as you could get apart from each other on opposite coasts i'm living here in Maine he's now living out in California And actually, we reconnected over the sort of fire movement. So he's the one who introduced it to me.
1: Jason, tell me more about that. You guys reconnected over the fire movement. How did this come about? How did you discover it? And how did it lead you guys back to each other?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. My
1: post-fi memory,
2: I feel some days is not as good as my pre-fi memory. <laughs> so too. Eric, Eric may need to correct me here, but you know, as he said, we kept in touch over the years, but we lived far apart. So we would have periodic calls around the holidays or things like that. And as I recall, we were having a conversation and I think I w- either that was the first time I had disclosed my plans to go this route or mm-hmm. was w- among the first times I talked about it. And. You know, I could just hear the light bulbs going off because Eric started asking a lot of questions. He already had this very successful business that he had started in five or six years prior at that point. And so it just became a touch point for us to discuss more often. And then eventually after I stopped working, I think about six months later, became the focus of this new adventure we've been on with Two Sides of Five.
1: Jason, how did you actually come across the financial independence retire early movement yourself? Like some of my age, approaching 50, came
2: to the fire community and the movement rather late in the game, even though I was already on the path. You know, at my very first job, as Eric picked on me once in an episode about this, I knew I wanted to do something different kind of right away, which is sort of a crazy notion. At first, I thought that meant I wanted to start my own business where I could have the kind of environment and culture, still having exciting science without kind of some of the drudgery that I saw in other companies. Later on, it became, you know, kind of fully formed a few years later when I met somebody, my future wife, who I'm still with today more than 20 years later, where we started to talk about wanting to live a different way. And, you know, how could we retire early? And that became this pursuit of, well, if I could save in this way and build our income in this way, we could retire by 55. And so we kind of pursued that route and, you know, went doing what Eric refers to as a career leveling up strategy, trying to sort of increase my salary and kind of, you know, advance my skills while building kind of approaching that number faster and faster. And then, you know, eventually the FIRE movement became something I was aware of rather late in the process. So it was a kind of a solo road for a while, eventually sought some outside help from financial planners along the way, and then discovered the FIRE movement. And, you know, fast forward, here we are now a little more than two years after.
0: So, I I mean, I just think it's so funny when I hear Jason talking about how he discovered the fire movement and he discovered it, like he didn't really have a terminology to describe it, but he was essentially on a fire path. But there was this long span of years where I feel like I was suffering through this kind of messy middle of my thirties, you know, having kids and just kind of trying to make vacations happen, just make a life. And he had this very strategic plan building up to this future early retirement date. And, And it was just a complete mystery to me. So when you know, kind of rewinding back to to when Jason and I sort of reconnected about it, it was a total light bulb moment for me because I thought, how could he keep this a secret from me? <laughs> like, and how could I be so foolish not to see it like that this was an option? I always thought, you know, when I started saving my first job, you know, they open up the retirement plan to you and say, invest ten percent of your your earnings in this, and it's this crazy, terrible mix of front-loaded mutual funds. You know, and it's ten percent of a twenty-four thousand dollar salary is you know twenty-four hundred bucks a year, and I thought, no wonder why retirement is so far in the future, like sixty-five, because it's going to take forever for this to amass to any meaningful sum. Meanwhile, Jason had this—I feel like—a strategic laser focus on reaching a certain number, and I know Jay that your path kind of you know wound like all of ours does in sort of crazy places, but it definitely felt. I felt like pretty uneducated when I I learned of the the fire movement.
2: Yeah. And I, to be fair, I I don't want to get too much credit here. I definitely had a mission or we had a mission, right. As a family to get to this place, but we earnestly thought it was going to be a much more modest early retirement. My my wife likes to refer to it as (laughs) I'd be happy selling fish in a hut in St. Lucia, which is true. I think she would. It's one of the things that helps me. She's so down to earth and, uh, you know, Everything we've sort of been able to achieve has been, you know, incremental. It hasn't been some sort of, you know, journey towards, you know, crazy excess, not, you know, fat fire was never our goal. It turned out that my career was able to advance farther than I thought it would. And thankfully, we had that saving discipline in place and good habits and was getting sound guidance from the people I was talking to about our plans. But I can't say precisely why I wasn't more open with people about my fire aims, even Eric, somebody I feel like I've always been able to pretty much tell you know real truth to. But talking about money was always something pretty uncomfortable for me, honestly, and I always felt like such a privileged goal to be able to achieve that even now it's still a struggle talking about it.
1: You know, that's interesting, Eric. As Jason is talking about this, you know, he doesn't talk about money. He didn't talk about money. I imagine one of the reasons is when you start talking about things like financial independence, people think you're off your rocker. I wonder, Eric, the first time you heard this, was there a moment where you're like, oh, he's crazy before the light bulb went off? Or did you know immediately he was onto something?
0: I mean, no, if my first reaction, and honestly, this was my wife's first reaction too, it was like, How is this possible? I mean, (laughs) I knew he was working in biotech. He was working in the Bay Area. Like, you know, we were of different means, clearly. And I thought, okay, well, how much of this, you know, financial independence is related to that and maybe the 10 steps before he leveled up into his, you know, VP level position, or how much of it is a set of systems and processes? And I think what he was gracious enough to do was just kind of share the systems that led him to being able to make the decisions. And you know, we started off probably where a lot of people start off with the you know twenty five times an annual spend. That's a pretty easy thing to digest and, and understand. And I think once we started doing, once I started doing the math, I thought and I looked at what we had accumulated to date. I was like, well, this actually may seem possible. And, and you know, how do we actually dig into this and do a little more research? I remember telling my wife, I'm like, oh, you know, Jason. And Lori, they're retiring early. I mean, it's can you believe it? Like they're just a few months away from this. And she's like, No way. I mean, impossible. And so I ended up doing that a very similar sort of education component with my wife. Just she's a scientist, she wants data, she wants to be convinced. Show me the numbers. And and I think in part, Jason and I reconnecting and you know, creating the podcast and starting to share this information was to expose that journey from not knowing to knowing. And and I don't have it figured I don't pretend to have it all figured out and I don't know that Jason has it all figured out but I think for me and I've always done this with my architecture practice as well that journey from not knowing to knowing that is the really interesting part and that's the part that where all the learning is happening that can be shared out and you know people can take away from it what they will and you know what Jason was able to give me I want to then share out to my wife and you know everyone else to show that it is possible no matter what means you're you're working with.
1: Jason we're going to talk in a moment about some of the deeper philosophical underpinnings of financial independence but before we get there you know i just wanted to ask a quick question about the podcast the two sides of phi you know i took it At face level that one of you has reached FI and one of you haven't. But as I'm listening, obviously, there's more to it than that, right? I mean, you come from different economic backgrounds. It sounds like you come even from different philosophical backgrounds. Tell me why you decided to start this podcast. Hmm.
2: It's a good question. I think honestly, the conversation that I had with Eric where we started bouncing around the idea, and I believe the seed came from him, to be perfectly honest. And he is a very experienced YouTuber already. He has a very successful channel on his own. So maybe that made it an easy idea for him to propose. For me, initial thought was a little terrifying. Very comfortable with public speaking given my former line of work, but not as you've just as we've just discussed, not super comfortable talking about finances. And even in the early episodes, you can hear more trepidation than you do more recently. But initially, it became something that just sounded fun, and it would be enjoyable to partner with Eric on something. I would learn some skills. It was going to be a fun way to spend time. And yeah, I am excited about this movement. But obviously, as Eric has pointed out, I was not exactly an evangelist about it. I was behind the scenes. Any interaction I had was rather anonymous on Reddit and all the other places where we are able to express ourselves a little more freely and so it started more as just a kind of a fun concept now that's very different from what it has become where for me it's very rewarding in terms of hours it's definitely among one of the greatest expenditures of time and that's completely voluntary i enjoy it tremendously and it's become this rewarding thing that i would never would have expected i mean it was an aspiration that it become rewarding and fulfilling but I could never have foreseen where it ended up. So, my ideas about why to do it were rather embryonic at the time, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: I mean, I'll just interject here, Jay, that everything with my business, you know, I run an architecture studio, I design homes for people, but it's kind of a different practice than how most architects actually practice, where they're taking a stable of clients and you're just working client to client to client. And, you know, I found living where I live, I live in a pretty remote place that you know the clients don't come around all that often. So the the business that I've developed is to sort of work with one client at a time and then take that work and just show everybody the whole design process, everything that we're doing and just lay it all out there. And I really saw this podcast, you know, creating this podcast and and taking this journey that Jason and I are both on. We're both doing it from different sides, but just laying it all out there so people could see and see the experience through each of our different lenses that we have on it and i think you're right to point out that there's there's all these different ways to look at the two different sides you know there's emotional aspects to this there's financial aspects to this there's all all kinds of things that are are embodied in this and and really i saw this for me who's about two hopefully two years away from my five target as kind of the glide path something pulling me Some purpose pulling me into retirement. You know, like it's the next thing to do. It's just, it's like this self publishing model. I I love the idea that, you know, you can self publish a book, you can publish a video, you can publish a podcast. All of these things are at your fingertips. And it's like this whole world of experimentation for us to try and. Build new skill sets. And I know Jay, that was one of the things that really drew you to this podcast. Like, Hey, I can, I can learn how to podcast. I can learn how to make thumbnails, all these things. And then we can also just share all of our learnings with other people. It's just, it's a great way to build community and this whole kind of pantheon of different skill sets are around it. It's just beautiful. I, I I love it.
2: Yeah, Eric, I completely agree with everything you've said. I think initially it did, you know, my immediate desires were very tactical. And, you know, I just love building skills much as you do. And right. so that stuff did seem very attractive. But what I couldn't have known was how this idea of Glide Path would relate to me as well. And, you know, as I've talked about on the show before, I started writing what became the next phases now, my blog about six weeks after retiring early. And that six weeks was largely because I spent that time prior moving, right? Packing up a house, moving three hours south to a lower cost of living area in California. That does exist. And only once that was done, did it all start to hit me how big of a change I was now undergoing. And so writing, and it was initially weekly, without fail for a long time, became a way for me to, while in lockdown, mind you, like all of us, process all this change, really think about it, you know, kind of throw ideas out into the void, which of course no one was responding to particularly early on. But then what I didn't realize was going to happen was two sides of five, this podcast, this YouTube YouTube channel was going to pick up the ball and run with it even more because it became far more interactive first and foremost because of my conversations with you, which we had, were having anyway, but now we were having them in a very different way and airing our conversations. But also because we started to get pickup, thankfully, relatively quickly. We started to build a community, got feedback from people. It was so gratifying and frankly, filling a void in my life for validation, to be perfectly honest. And could never have foreseen how that allowed me to better transition to where I am now where I feel so much more comfortable more than two years out than I did one year out and certainly more than I did six months out. So I never, again, would have foreseen that being a benefit, but it's probably one of the biggest ones along with just being able to connect with you on this and work with you closely on a project that's really important to us both.
1: Jason, as you speak, I'm kind of interested in this idea of how you've evolved through content creation, whether it be a blog or the two sides of fi, but how that's also affected your perception of what financial independence is. So talk to me a little bit about what financial independence means to you today. And is that different maybe than it was a few years ago? That's a good question. I'm not certain how different it is, but when I start talking,
2: I bet I'll make it clear to myself. <laughs> I mean, I have always started from a very basic position, which is financial independence is the point at which you no longer require external, you know, f- financial input where you no longer need other money coming in, you know, most what most people call a job or some kind of paid employment that is now funding your lifestyle. You're able to meet all of your needs to pay your expenses, to fund the fun stuff in life, as well as the required without having to have a job. You could continue to work, certainly as you have, or you could work differently, cut your hours, whatever, but it's not essential anymore. As to what it means now, now I guess I I suppose all of that is true, but what is different is the things that come to mind first. And the things that come to mind first are about time freedom. It's about complete flexibility, how to spend my time, what I want to focus on, de-risking sort of novel pursuits. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to cram in new and fun things while you're still working on those early morning hours, I'm a morning person, or on the weekend in between chores, you're, you know, it feels like a lot more burdensome and it's a lot higher risk if you pick the wrong stuff to focus on. Whereas now, although in the first six months, I was putting tremendous pressure on myself to pick the right stuff. Now, financial independence means how I want to spend my time doing things on my own with my family, with friends, whatever they are. They could be as pointless or not goal-driven or completely the opposite. That's okay. So for me, I suppose this concept of freedom and flexibility are probably at the very forefront of what it defines for me.
1: Eric, I'm interested because as I listened to Jason talk about this, I definitely see this evolution of what this means to him. You know, when you started this podcast, it was the two sides of FI. You were pre-FI, he was post-FI. But I'm wondering if you're going through the same exact evolution, regardless of your financial
0: status. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I I'm pretty open on the podcast in my hangups with you know finances and just having to earn money. I mean, right now, I'm struggling with this idea of it's easy to save. I'm finding the game of reaching phi to be pretty fun. But I worry that when I reach a certain goal, not only that maybe I'll move the goalposts, which I think we're all guilty of doing, or I'll decide it's just it's not enough or I'll determine that you know right now money for me is a proxy for the value that I'm creating in the world and I I fear that when that goes away, all the things that I enjoy doing—the creative practice that I do, which is making videos and making models and drawings and all of these things—that feed me as a creative person. When that's no longer tied to earning some money, what's the value? Like, what's the point? And I think Jason has been teaching me and showing me, you know, by example that there is a point to doing it, and it doesn't always have to be tied to money. And and I. It's a real journey though. And I think it's, I, I'd be lying to say that I have it figured out and I feel comfortable with it because, you know, I think if you watch from day one of the podcast, when we started recording, it, I feel like I've grown a lot and I feel like Jay has grown a lot as well. And, and my relationship to money is much different. I mean, we are I'm putting so much focus on this. That's one of the, the, the hard parts about, you know, choosing a phi number is that you really start to get very focused on money and in a way that I wasn't used to. Prior to you know Jason and I talking having these discussions and you know there's there's good aspects to that but there's also also some sort of negative aspects to that and those are things that I'm working through and I think it's it's worthwhile sharing these you know disagreements that I have with my wife and money and Jason and I have different perspectives on money and I I think just talking about it helps me to work through those things but I definitely don't have it fig- all figured out.
2: I. Like what you said there, Eric. I, I may—I don't know if I'd say I'm going to challenge something, but uh, hopefully you feel it's a very supportive statement. I have two comments that are very related. The first one is I definitely agree that we both grow as a result of these conversations. We see the transition. You and I have had occasion to go back and listen to some of the early stuff. Makes me cringe, of course, because yes. I'm not—I was not an experienced interviewee. You are and an experienced interviewer, so I think you you, you sort of outwardly changed less on two sides of fire. I know what you mean about under the hood, but one of the ways that you helped me evolve is a couple of them. The one is just you know speaking earnestly and and being comfortable with speaking earnestly to people you don't know, and of course we're we're casting this out. To many people we're still a small and early show, but you know that the channel has had more than a million views and you know fit more than fifteen thousand subscribers that's a lot of people watching, listening, and thinking about our content, a portion of whom respond back to us so <laughs> there is feedback and you know I can see what people what resonates with people what they react to, et etc so that has helped me grow as just as our conversations you and I talking have helped me grow, but part of that is how you have helped me do some of that. And I think, and I believe that you will be able to flip that back around on yourself. And what I mean is, you know, I think of some of the earliest conversations we had when I was putting pressure on myself to, you know, figure out what the next thing was, or can I turn this activity I'm doing, you know, you know, (laughs) spending six months learning how to write apps, right? Yeah. Turn it into something. You know, you constantly guided me in, in I think, very appropriate ways, never heavy-handed. Like, hey, you know, when you open this door, you know, there's just a whole bunch more doors that that leads to. And just like in your career where it has these crazy twists and turns, they work out. They lead you to things you wouldn't have foreseen. That's an okay thing now more than ever. It's always an okay idea, but man, post five, that's what you've bought for yourself. And, you know, the more you said that and the more that I got the chance to react to it and process it, I mean, it just became how I think about things now. So, I mean, you get due credit for that. I do hope in return, it means that as you start to cross that line, you'll see the types of value you've gotten from two sides of fire, which obviously is not financial value. You <laughs> know, no oh, one goes yeah. into YouTubing to become the next Mr. Beast, right? It's just not going to happen. But we do it because of all of the other rewards we get, personal and and otherwise. And so in my view, you are creating content and doing all these things right now without the type of financial benefit that you seek and you get in your current career. And I hope that and I believe that you'll be able to find all of that and more Post post.
0: No, it's a good point. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jay. And I, I mean, once things start to build to a certain point, though, don't you naturally assign? Okay, well, I'm going to invest all this time. Like, might as well get something out. I don't know. It's it's still a struggle for me, I have to say. But you know, starting this with no subscribers and no viewers, yeah, it was completely liberating because you know my business channel has all the pressures of having to perform at a certain level, you know, people are used to you making this kind of video. And if you don't make that kind of video and it doesn't perform, then you don't earn and you can't, you know, it just pushes everything back. It's like, so that was freeing. And and I can see that kind of the door cracking open and see the kind of light pouring in. So I appreciate that.
2: Okay. Yeah, no, no (laughs) worries. I I get what you mean. And I was doing some of that early on too, you know, thinking about like, well, (laughs) even if this isn't going to return monetary value now, isn't Shouldn't it later? And isn't that not a goal, but isn't that like an outcome that is highly desirable? Well, maybe. And it, it, it's taken me a while and I'm not going to claim that I've fully, you know, surmounted that hill and come down the other side, but I'm way farther along
1: in that journey than I was before. Yeah. We are talking to Jason, who's a retired scientist and biotechnology executive. After working for 23 years, he achieved his financial independence, retire early goals and left the workplace. Eric is a practicing residential architect, author, photographer, content creator, and founder of 30 by 40 design workshop. His target financial independence date is June, 2024. And we are talking the two sides of FI. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is the earn and invest podcast. com. That's LandRoverUSA.com So, last week, August 19th, it was a Friday. It was a magical day. That was the night we did my book launch party at the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters in Longmont, Colorado. Thanks to Carl Jensen from Mile Hi-Fi, Pete Adeny, Mr. Money Mustache, and the wonderful crew that runs the... Mr. Money Mustache headquarters. It was a magical night. We got to celebrate my book, Taking Stock. But more importantly, I've been arguing on this podcast and in my book that what's important is not necessarily our financial independence, but what that tool of money buys us. And what that is is a sense of purpose, identity, and connections and being at Mr. Money Mustache headquarters, surrounded by my community, our community, talking about my book, I just can't tell you how fantastic an experience it was. It brought to light what I'm doing this for and what I think we're all doing this for is to have these moments where we feel connected. It was a blast doing it. If you were not able to come to Longmont, hopefully I will see you somewhere on the road that might be San Diego when I'm going to a Camp Fi Southwest or somewhere else. Like I said, I might do a Chicago book launch party here too, just to celebrate since it is local. I hope to see you all in person. And most importantly, I hope you keep enjoying the show. Eric, it's interesting as I listen to your struggles about creation of value, and that can be money, that can be subscribers, that can be a way we measure ourselves, but I also think that Jason maybe struggles with the same thing when it comes to time commitments and how he's going to use that precious time he has. Talk to me about your conception of enough or enoughness. Like, Have you been able through this process to start understanding what enough is because- you know, as I listen to you, I certainly look at my own evolution and enough eventually became nothing about money.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering how it's evolved for you. I mean, in light of your new book, which I've just recently read, you know, t- the concept of enough is baked in there. And of course, I think, you know, enough really comes into focus when. Your family members have health issues and my family, like many other families, have faced some very serious health issues of the recent past. And, you know, honestly, things that continue have continued on longer than we expected. And I think those are always moments to refocus on, you know, enough as it relates to life and time and, you know, the things, the relationships that we have in our in our life parents friends family i watch you know my high school senior is getting ready to walk out the door to college here in seven days and enough it, it is it, you're right it, it doesn't have a lot to do with money um, and that's i guess one of the real negative aspects of focusing on fire so heavily is that you it's easy to focus on the numbers those are very concrete things to point at and solve and say well okay i can divide the number of months between here and june of 2024 and i can do the math and understand what i need to have in the bank before then but i think too often those moments that you have with your kids or your parents those those tend to slip away when you are so heavily focused on those concrete things so i can't say that i have um that i've solved the enough problem because every time you know my wife and i started off with a target number that was related to a certain you know financial goal and we've moved that several times and not once do i think we've actually talked about you know maybe what that and more so what that enables us to do and and we are trying to do that and i jason has been helpful in focusing this for me you know we ha- we have a an upcoming episode that we're going to release here in another week that we we talk about this topic quite a bit and someone asked about working another year jason if you could have worked another year or two years or three years You know, what would that make you feel more comfortable? And the focus of our discussion had nothing to do with money. I asked Jason to recount the episodes in his life that he had over that period of two years that he's been, you know, post reaching his fine number. And they were all related to his daughter, his wife, the trips that he was able to take, the experiences that he built his life around and none of them were i wish i had more money for an rv i wish i had x object a boat whatever and so i thought that was very telling and and you know i think more people prefi in my position need to hear that jason
1: let me turn the question around a little bit there are a lot of people who just are not going to make it to financial independence we know this right the grand majority of the population doesn't is there such thing as enough without financial independence I think so, Doc G. I think
2: maybe there's a concept of balance in there. This is a this is a big question and one that would be delightful to think more about. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on my feet. I think for me, you know, enough has a a very clear underpinning of fulfillment, right? Of living a fulfilling and full life, and that can mean so many different things. You know, we have been focused on this concept of financial independence and all the things it enables, but you know, particularly if you can become you know, maybe, you know, more secure financially such that, you know, you are able to make lifestyle changes that allow you to do all the things you want to do. And maybe some of what you're not doing presently, maybe you could reduce your hours or, you know, work a very different schedule, even a different line of work. I know I have people in my life who did that. They reached the point where, you know, hey, at 50, I started doing something completely different because, you know, I have enough saved that it's going to help me get to retirement, but I don't have to go, go, go in the, the startups or the other kind of high pressure companies where they're putting in 60 plus hour weeks, 80 hour weeks. So I think for many people, that is a concept that, that it's very attractive and understandably so, because you can sort of adjust the way you go about your waking hours, right? And many of us, the majority of which are spent at work in the employ of other people, to be able to make sure that the whole of your life your existence is focused on the things that bring you all of the types of reward not just monetary
0: i mean i'll just say we talk a lot about optionality and i think i'm not, i haven't reached my five number yet but i have a lot of optionality in my life because of the kind of business that i created for myself and, and you know this kind of self publishing model and i think that man i can't tell you how much freedom and security that has bought me. And, and so I do, you know, to answer your question, <laughs> maybe just thinking about it a little more, Jordan, uh, It's it does feel like that it is achievable and attainable. It feels like when you put a plan together and put some focus on it, that there is a way to achieve this kind of life. And, and I like your, your term of balance, Jay, you know, just laying all the options on the table and then choosing amongst the ones that are going to create, you know, freedom and purpose and happiness in your life.
1: Eric, do we get too caught up on the numbers? I mean, do we overanalyze? That's one of the things that sometimes drives me crazy. I can have a months long conversation with people in the financial independence movement about safe withdrawal rates and we can pick it apart. I mean, you guys did a whole episode on Karsten Jesky's safe withdrawal rate series. I mean, there's like 20 something posts that go into as much detail as you want to.
0: Are we missing the point? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just going to be honest though. Like, you know, you you're both post five, right? You you have the privilege and the freedom to not have to think about it so much, right? I mean, you've done the the heavy lifting, and there is that basic math that needs to be done. And I have to say, as I get closer to my five date and you know a target number, I'm doing a lot more hand wringing. So I do I feel like it's a place of privilege just to to out and out dismiss it and just say, well, you know, I'm, yeah, it's too much to focus on the numbers. But to your point. We talked to Karsten, and Karsten is a wealth of knowledge, and it's all very analytical and data driven. And some of the feedback that we got on that episode was like, hey, when are you guys going to focus more on the kind of (laughs) lifestyle discussions? Because at a certain point in the fire movement, you've done the math, you've got a plan, and a lot of it is just grinding it out and working toward that plan. Yes, there are safe withdrawal rate concerns and inflation and all these things to think about, but really, the more difficult part and I and I struggled with this speaking with my wife is okay well what's next like what once you get there we need to think about what's pulling you into retirement you know what is life like post five what are the options that you're opening up and my my wife, to be honest is I mean she's very focused on her career right now she's very heads down as a scientist running a lab and she said it's enough for me just to do this I can't you know, sit down and come with a life purpose plan. And, you know, there's great resources in your book. And I pointed her to your book, Doc G, but she's like, I don't, I can't fit it in my head right now. It's enough just for me to do my work. And so I feel like there should be more discussion about this purpose piece, because I think if you ask Jay, this very same question, he's going to tell you that there was a, a lot of wandering happening after reaching phi, Like, okay, totally. what is my purpose? What's my title now? We're we're so focused on what our title is. And I think I have a little bit of a privileged position in that when I started my business, I was able to sort of shrug off the singular title of architect. I mean, I was used to being an architect. I was used to, that was the only thing I did, but now, you know, I'm an author, I'm a content creator, I'm a photographer, like all these things. I think it just opens up this whole world of possibility. And that's what I'm trying to like, talk about with my wife. And she's like, let's focus on the numbers. So I don't know, it's a struggle.
2: So rewinding a little bit, and, and there's so much merit to what you've said there. You know, one of the places I spend a lot of time these days is in a couple of different online communities, one of which is a Discord server focused on Fire, and nearly everybody in it, as you might suspect, is in their 20s or early 30s, and they're all pre-fi. And I think there's a double edged sword to the amount of knowledge that's available at this point. I think from a benefit standpoint, the fact that I have had exchange with 21 to 23 year olds who are already so far along and making such smart decisions about reducing unnecessary spending, you know, saving and thinking about asset location and, you know, mega backdoor Roths are, they're, they're just so far, much farther ahead than we were and could have been at our when Eric and I and and Jordan, you got started on this path. And and I know you stumbled into it as well. But the flip side of that is when I have these discussions with them about the messy middle and the over-focus on everything, and they're doing the right stuff. They're still buying as the market is going wild this year, but they're constantly talking about, how the market's performing, how many years to, to their target it now is. And I, I find myself checking myself all the time when I talk to them because I don't want to appear like this curmudgeon, although it's hard to live at 49. I could be that old, but I am to them. I'm more than twice their age often. But I don't want to come across as being like that because I know their intentions and their practices are so good. But on the same note, Honestly, me knowing me, the emotional mess that I am, I'm so happy that my end goal was nebulous for as long as it was this idea of before 55. And only in the last five or six years that it start to become a little more, you know, as the, the focus increased, you know, the clarity improved and I started to chart my path there because it is more stressful when you start thinking about that number, what Eric's going through right now. And he's going through it in a market that's very different than it was when I started to get close to tapping out, although my last three months were rather rocky as the pandemic became known to all of us. That wouldn't have been great for me emotionally. So I think about people on the path now and their extreme focus on the numbers, to your point, Doc G. It does cause me some stress when I think about how I know that would affect me, and therefore I suspect it must be affecting other people that way too.
1: Jason, I want to make a a difficult transition here. You're talking about you having much more nebulous goals and seeing these 20 something year olds and having them very, very on point when it comes to their financial issues, almost to the point where you're kind of, I'm sure like, okay, guys, take it easy here. Like you got to live a little life. You are now you and Eric are part of that big group of content creators. You are now part of the FIRE movement. Do you think we've become a little bit over-commercialized, especially us content creators, that in some ways, maybe we push that narrative too, that it's all about numbers because it makes a lot of people money. And it, it's certainly the go-to message that's going to get you more viewers and more followers. I think we
2: do a reasonable job of sticking to our theme. And that is looking at this space through our eyes and our existences. And that means that we have spent a pretty high ratio. I don't know if it's three to one or what have you on sort of lifestyle, socio-emotional versus nuts and bolts. Because in our opinion, there are people who do that really well. And some of them are such financial mutants and nerd out on this stuff who we still learn from today, Karsten, just being one simple example. (laughs) There are so many out there, people who are CFAs and CFPs and you know, otherwise just very skilled. Even one of the aforementioned 21-year-olds there, so much farther along than me in that respect. So I think our attempt is to not just be another voice on the pile and it be some kind of land grab to sort of draw more people into this way of thinking. We've been pretty honest from the start with ourselves, at least. I don't know how it appears to anybody else. This is intention I'm talking about, and I'll let Eric check me. Our intention is to put out what we believe to be our truth as viewed through our eyes and spoken through our mouths about why we're doing this, what we're experiencing, the struggles we've had, the successes we've had, in the hopes that it could help somebody else on their journey. I like to believe that includes you know, little to no pandering or just you know following the, the herd. And that's not to cast judgment on anybody. Again, I think this space is so full of great content creators that I've enjoyed a lot over the years. Yes, there are a lot of voices. Yes, some are Me Toos. I can't speak to their intent, but I do agree that there's a lot out there to consume.
0: And people are looking for, you know, they're going to hear their own situation in your specific situation. So I think, you know, our best stuff comes from just sharing personal anecdotes and what we're experiencing right now. And there's a reality to this situation that. It doesn't feel good when the market is down. And I'm just, we're going to have a conversation about that. And I feel like that's real and people want to hear that as opposed to rehashing a three and a half percent withdrawal rate or some calculation. And by the same point, I mean, I don't think we're like Graham Stephan. I don't think we're like sensationalizing this whole, you know, our journey in any way. I think we're, we are just trying to make it real and in hopes that people can relate to that. And I,
1: you know,
0: we're, Jason and I come from, you know, by all comparisons, very privileged positions, so our content's not going to resonate with everybody, obviously, but i I hope that there's some vulnerability in there and some recognition that we don't have it all figured out, like even Jason, who's made it to Phi, and he you know he's still wandering around, and i'm you know I'm wandering around too, and i that's exciting to me that I can't see further than the headlights in front of me. And I hope it's exciting to other people too. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to make my five date. It doesn't look very good. Like June, you said June of 2024. 2024 and, I, yeah. and I said, well, it's probably December now, or, you know, I don't know when, but th- there's some, there's, in, that's keeps it interesting.
1: I was about to say, does it matter though?
0: I mean, <laughs> you know, it matters in the sense that, and and my wife has asked me this question too. So good on you, <laughs> Jordan, for asking me this and pushing on this because <laughs> It matters in the sense that if I want to take a new client on today, so I'm getting this is the time of year that I get all of my architecture clients end of August. Everyone's here, they're buying vacation properties, whatever. And I have to then put this in the pipeline, which is a two to three year pipeline. And it's actually even longer now, given all the supply chain issues. So it matters in that sense. So if I want to take another client on and work with them and publish content on my YouTube channel for my business, yeah, I have to make a decision now for things that are a couple of years in the future. Does does it matter though in terms of, you know, how I'm able to support the family? Probably not because the end goal is, you know, I'm trying to create this glide path into retirement where most of my income is just going to be passive. And right now the business is like 80 to 90% passive income generated and it's 10% to 20% client generated. So If I can squeeze that little last client piece out of there and the whole thing is passive, then no, it doesn't matter. I mean, I guess that would be the ultimate goal. So I guess I have a a few more months to do that.
1: Jason and Eric mentioned vulnerability. And at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about the fact that when you two first started this conversation, a conversation that was incredibly private, this was something you wouldn't talk to anyone about. You've now gone public. Talk to me about friends, family, having people hear your vulnerabilities, having people hear you talk about money. What has been your experience? What has been their response?
2: Ooh, there's a lot in there. I, I think, think the th- public response has been great. And uh, you mentioned that earlier. It's been so helpful because to be quite honest, like many in this space, you know, you're you're probably not going to find a ton of support among your former colleagues and your friends who are on a more traditional path. They may be happy for you. And of course, any good friend would be, but it doesn't mean that there's not something underneath that is, you know, not as excited. And so it's not something to be perfectly honest. I talked about with many people, it was very few single digits within, you know, unless we're talking about within the last year, I mean, I didn't even share this with most of my family and something I felt bad about because there's really no reason I shouldn't have been able to be open. But on the same note, I also, you know, are me, my siblings, my parents had different courses we took in life and different sacrifices that were made to do different things. And, you know, my income was far greater than than any of theirs. And that always felt less than great, to be perfectly honest you know? And so, the fact that I was going to be able to sort of exit that much sooner just sort of reinforced that kind of feeling in me, which wasn't great. And then, you know, a lot of the typical five stuff, and this isn't a complaint because it's a privilege to be able to do this. It's an achievement you feel good about, but on the same note, we're so fortunate to be able to have this conversation. You know, you run into the must-be-nice people, even among your peers, right? People who you respected, had mutual respect with in the workplace, Even other executives would hear that kind of thing. And, you know, it is a novel concept for many. You know, it just sort of feels innately like the path to do the standard thing. And anything else is weird. You're somehow quitting or, you know, whatever. And so I'll be perfectly honest and say it's been a mix. Even when I talk to people I don't know, even to this day, you know, I I pour wine at a tasting room one day a week for fun. It's still I have to, to kind of try to judge my audience and how I this is what I choose. How do I tell them what I'm doing? Because sometimes they'll ask, and, you know, is this your only job? And, you know, oh, are you retired? I'm still not 100% comfortable with how to have that conversation. I still take each one case by case, but it's something I feel I've gotten better at every day. But it's, you know, it's definitely individual to each person how we handle this.
1: Eric, we've said multiple times on this show, it's a privilege. It's a privilege, right? To think about financial independence, to think about FIRE. Can anyone achieve financial independence? Like is it a privilege or is it something that maybe everyone could find a way to?
0: I mean, I think one of the reasons we're sharing our own paths here is just to prove that I mean, Jason and I have very different paths to financial independence. Our our numbers are going to be different. And, you know, we actually we just had a guest on our show who is making $50,000 a year as a college administrator and one of the reasons we spoke with him was because we wanted to paint paint the picture of what that could look like. And, you know, everyone's path to financial independence is unique and personal and different. And naturally, it when the numbers are different, the life post fi looks different. And I but I do feel like it's something that's completely achievable. And it's one of the reasons why we do this. I mean, I think you probably feel the same way, Jordan, that. You know, sharing this information, the part of the excitement of it is to say, it, this is possible for you too. And I, I think uh, I'm a natural planner as an architect, and I had, did not have a plan for many, many years. And it's one of my biggest regrets. And it's one of the things that I'm trying to teach my children as they're leaving the nest here. Is that you know? Create the plan and design the life that you want, and anything's possible. So you know, I, I don't want it to be too much of a mil- kind of a milk toast message here, but yeah, it's po- it's definitely possible.
2: You know, Jordan, if I can add to that, one of the things that the conversation Eric is referencing with that individual we had the 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 pleasure to speak with on two sides of fire recently, the fifty thousand dollars salary individual, was th- this idea of intentionality and purpose and i think that resonates very well with several themes that that i read in taking stock your book this idea of, of plan, knowing you know kind of thinking about what you want and how you want to live and what you want to get to and planning for that and so some may look at that person's story and say all right so you're 30 making $50,000 a year you're talking about a million by here like so what but when you actually listen to the way that this individual's name is Stephen spoke about it, the thing that struck me more than anything that I couldn't have predicted was just the sheer benefit of thinking about what you want to get to and and what that might look like so that you're taking control and charting a path. I mean, we know we've heard the numbers how many people find themselves in an unplanned retirement or you know whether it's because they age out of a job or become disabled or something. So even if somebody doesn't have these, you know, outrageous goals of X million dollars by some, you know, very silly early age, doesn't mean that it's not within everybody's ability to take these concepts in mind and sort of chart out what they want their financial life and more importantly, the non-financial aspects of life to look like. And I think that's such a valuable lesson to take from all of these stories that are out there.
1: Well, Jason and Eric, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I feel like there are multiple truths that exist together. One is that there are two sides of phi, right? There's pre-FI and post phi, or, or not-FI and post-FI. But we also know that there are many sides to financial independence. Everyone has their own unique path. All those paths are different. And yet there's also only one side, which is trying to allow our money to be of service to us so we can live a life that's meaningful. And I think that's what comes across in this conversation today and certainly is what comes across in your podcast. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where can we reach you? Eric, let's start with you. What is up next and how can people reach out to you if they would like to?
0: Yeah, I continue to publish videos on my YouTube channel, Uh, I try and do that at least once a month, doing some client projects. I have an exciting project out on an island that I'm working on. You can always find me at 30by40.com.
1: And Jason, what is up next in your life and how can people reach out to you?
2: So what's up personally is uh, my wife and I are going to be traveling to Germany with some friends to do a little beer-themed tourism, one of our favorite things, and we're very excited about that. Yes, it coincides with the school year starting, (laughs) so we will get to take that time for ourselves. And then also, I continue to blog at thenextphasesnow.com, a little less in the summer with all that happens then, but uh, looking forward to getting back to it. And then as well, spending time on Two Sides of Fi, which is our YouTube channel and podcast.
1: This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Jason and Eric from Two Sides of Fi. That's a wrap. Awesome. As you guys probably know, I usually leave the tape going just for a few minutes to catch our conversation. Uh, that was fantastic. I really oh, enjoyed you. that conversation. I love having podcasters on because you guys, especially <laughs> since you guys do enough episodes that just you two without an uh, interview, you're used to kind of having these conversations in front of a mic. Um, so it's really fun to to have it feel much more like a conversation as opposed to a scripted interview.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's our, It's hard not to feel like we're cutting you off though. That.
1: Yes, <laughs> I agree. I was really worried part. about
2: that. We're so used to talking to each other. Your questions are so good. They prompt all these thoughts. And uh, I was very worried that it, it, about how it felt to you because it felt good to us. But we're also so used to talking to each other that, yeah.
1: <laughs> my take is that you should hear my voice 5% or less of the podcast.
2: Okay. Generally. Uh, um, and
1: the reason why... People disagree on this. I've I've actually been criticized. Some people say, you know, I really would like you to be more interactive on parts of the conversation. But my passion as an interviewer is to find what's amazing about each person I get in front of the mic and goad them to tell me that amazing story, that amazing philosophy, to get to the basics of what they really are. And so for me... The best way to do that is to ask as good questions as I can and step back and listen.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Did, did you have you taken any courses or anything to improve your interview technique because it's oh, oh no. No, I haven't read any books or anything. It's just the number, sheer number of volume of podcasts. Um,
1: I love asking questions. I mean, yeah. I think that's I may, maybe I've done it my whole life. You certainly do it as a physician, right? As a yeah, physician. Sure. The good yeah. physicians, like the really good ones, are like detectives so your job is to walk in and again ask the right questions to people right. to get open up i can't tell you how many times people came into my office and they'd be like you know they'd be like my chest is hurting right and you start to asking ask about the chest and you start getting into it and then you go further and well when's your chest hurting and it's like well like you know my chest started hurting right after i had a fight with my wife <laughs> oh well tell me about the fight you're having with your wife And then you get into these stories, right? You go further and further and you realize that the answer to people's questions isn't anything at all that you thought it would be. Um, And so I think I've been trained over many, many years to really, and I I always saw myself as a physician. I saw myself as a detective. Like my job was to go in and ask these really kind of important questions to get people to reveal their secrets to me. And I think interviewing is the same. I listened to a lot of Terry Gross. Um, I was going to say, yeah. It's a good judge. (laughs) (laughs) So, fresh air. I think Terry Gross is just excellent at asking. I mean, Oprah, right? We all grew up with Oprah out of our age group. I'm 49, too. So, we grew up listening to Oprah ask. And I mean, that's what Oprah did, right? She could ask one or two questions, and all of a sudden, she'd get quiet, and these people would just, you know come out with it,
0: right? I, I'm a Debbie Millman. I'm a Debbie Millman fan. I'm a Design Matters podcast that's been yeah. on for, I mean, that's one of the oldest podcasts there is, um, but she's a great uh, interviewer. So yeah, I love this idea about just kind of stepping back and making way. And I I was going to say, one of the things that I've learned from Jason and I interacting was the early episodes, I would just cut Jason off like we were having just a regular conversation. And, yeah. and you directed this very well in the beginning to say, hey, look, there is a it's rhythm here raise your hand if you want <laughs> cuz yeah. otherwise it's just a mess so i appreciate it <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's no, a it, smart move
1: yeah it it's a lot of fun and um i don't know i think these are the important conversations like i think this is what we need to be doing and i find so uh, you know i i i was jumping out of my seat a little bit jason though as or excuse me eric as i was listening to you because like the connection to money i totally get it like i was a huge high achiever and i was I was a high income earner. Like I actually built the business of medicine to the point where I was making a lot of money. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'll tell you, after some years of coming to terms with that, life is so much better not even considering money when you decide what to do with yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I've really, I, and it's not just money, it's actually achievement. Like I've had to let go of certain things. Yeah, And I've had to really start saying, okay, am I enjoying what I'm doing anymore? Because at some point I would get so hyped up on getting to the achievement that I would start doing things I didn't like, right? You start cool. promoting your podcast in places you don't even like being, but you're doing it because you want the more followers because that's what everyone else is doing. And, gotcha. and like, and like all yeah. of a sudden, and you do the same thing with money, right? And all of a sudden you have to like, look at it and be like, okay, I'm now taking that precious resource of time and filling it with stuff I don't like for some you know, amorphous goal, which sounds great. Like it sounds great having all these followers, or it sounds great having an extra million in the bank. Totally, but might not actually get me anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I really appreciate that feedback, uh, yeah. Jordan. And I think it's, it's, I'm, and I've told Jason when we started this channel that metrics are not interesting to me, and and yep. they're very. It's a very negative headspace for me to get in, and I have as my own business youtube channel has grown over the years i've gotten further and further away from this really aggressive content publishing schedule and just saying like the only thing that matters is that i am when i'm making a video i'm reaching out to a certain person and i'm connecting with them and i'm right. helping that person and i'm doing it on brand for me like it has to be a beautifully filmed video it has to be cinematic it has to be all these things that creatively fulfill me because that that's the thing that i know is ultimately going to be successful in the world, and um, and not trying to tie it to finances. But man, it's I have to say, I, I go back and forth, and and the you temptation know, I, is real. <laughs> yeah, and I know from reading your book that you did too. Oh God, <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: We, I mean, it's yeah. it's a con. I mean, it's a struggle. I will say though, I've gotten better at it. Like life has been a lot yeah, more good. peaceful in the last year or two, and so take it from an achievement junkie. Over t- <laughs> over time, if you're really thoughtful about it. You can get to a much more, and I, I use the word peaceful because it's not like I was unhappy achieving. Like, right. I loved yeah. achieving too, but it was a very restless, um, sometimes yeah. uncomfortable. Gosh, thing. yeah, and I can so, relate to that. It, it's yeah. real.
2: I mean, I and I, I honestly, that absence was really big for me, and I, I was definitely somebody who measured my sort of steps to achieving all the things I wanted by what was my level. Uh, okay, yeah, I was a VP here, but now I'm a VP with a, a $50 million budget and a 250 person organization. That, you know, and then suddenly you're not. <laughs> so right. yeah. I, I get being metrics driven, and it was a big thing for me. And even now, because I mostly I view this as so fun fulfillment, I do look at the metrics of two sides. of fire. I don't tell Eric about them, I wait till he mentions them. Uh, I, I learned that early on. He, he helped me get better at that, but I still look at them because it's at least some th- kind of feedback, which I, I kind of enjoy, but yeah, it's, it is very different than when I was working and thinking about the monetary aspects of achievement and the, the, you know, I don't know all the other kind of empire building type things that you end up, many of us end up doing in the workplace.
1: Yeah. The other yes. thing I just wanted yeah. to let you guys know is, um, I really enjoy your podcasts. I do not consume much content anymore. I really don't. I'm like sure, that's the yeah. problem. I, on the creation <laughs> um, cons- consumption continuum, I'm now way more on the creation continuum, yeah. Yeah. and so my just my Me energy too. level for consuming is not much. But the oh. episodes I've listened of you guys have all been really high quality. They've been really good conversations. They've been a pleasure to listen to. Easy to listen to. Right. Thank um, you. So That's I think awesome. you've got something good going. Your relationship to each other carries over really well on the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank I you. really appreciate that. That means a lot coming from a podcaster that I listen to religiously well, <laughs> all the time. Thank you. So, and thank
1: you for listening. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, Absolutely. thank you for
0: putting it together. I know how much work it is. And uh, and I hope your book is doing well. And you know, we just really thank you for allowing us the chance to speak with you here
2: yeah absolutely here here Uh, my wife is just starting the book herself so i'm excited to get her feedback i think it'll provoke some good conversations
1: good i hope so the the the, it's a weird thing you know just like a podcast or a blog is kind of putting yourself out there for me writing the book was like the next level yeah Yeah.
0: Um, tech moves fast